Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the nation from Atlanta, Georgia. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be a part of the program, well, you know, I'm kind of glad Emmanuel Macron opened his mouth because we can get away from the Dobbs case. Well, I mean, we got other stuff. The Supreme Court, by the way, uh, I need to give you a preview alert for tomorrow. Tomorrow, uh, if you thought the meltdown over Dobbs was bad, wait until you see what the Supreme Court does tomorrow. I'll explain why in the second hour it's probably as significant. But I've got to begin with Emmanuel Macron, the president of France. This is actually more important than the Dobbs situation. And this also kind of highlights why the Democrats are going to have trouble uh, in November, regardless of the Dobbs case and regardless of your views on the Dobbs case. I mean, if you watch CNN this morning, they're having a real hard time jockeying between Dobbs and January 6th. And uh, then they're having to do apologies for the gas prices, and particularly in light of what happened with Emmanuel Macron. Now, I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to go to CNBC. This is the audio. Oil prices are back on the rise after sliding for a few days. And it might be on the back of this. By the way, this was yesterday, later in the day, at the G7 meetings in Germany. We're going to show you the video and some of the sound. French President Emmanuel Macron kind of rushing in and actually sort of interrupting President Biden. He was with Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor. And Macron sort of jumping in, all, by the way, in front of reporter cameras and hot microphones, and, and maybe that wasn't an accident. And Macron saying that the Saudis and the UAE have little to no spare capacity to increase oil production. Watch and listen. One, I'm at the maximum, maximum. What he claims, and this is my commitment. Second, told me. According to us, the Saudis can increase a little bit, but 150 or a little bit more, and they, they don't have huge capacities at this stage, before six months' time. So, Becky, if our viewers and listeners can't hear that, I understand. What, what Macron was saying is that the Saudis can maybe raise production by 150 to 170,000 barrels a day. The UAE, MBZ is who he referenced there, Macron, that is the head of the UAE. Now, keep in mind, there's so this was not an accident in my view, Becky. You do not run, if you're a world leader, run in front of live microphones, live cameras, clearly in earshot, and say this. Now, Macron has been on the tape saying he wants more Iranian oil on the market, more Venezuelan oil on the market, and he also may be providing political cover, perhaps, to President Biden for next month's meeting with the Saudis, if not a lot happens, or maybe Macron is sending a message to Biden that the United States needs to raise our output. Either way, Becky, you know and I know that these types of things in hot mics, they don't just happen. Look, even in France, he's right. In France, this does not happen. Hot mics are a phenomenon there as well. You don't rush in while the mics are live and say this stuff unless you're a buffoon. Now, Macron could be a buffoon, but I don't think he is. Uh, you don't win the presidency in France by being a buffoon. I mean, we can characterize him as such because, well, he's French. But <laughs> no, seriously, though, uh, what Macron is delivering to Biden is a message that the UAE is maxed out. Um Mohammed bin Saeed al al what is it um bin Nahyan uh Zaid Sheikh Zaid um I grew up in Dubai 
when I was a kid in the 80s in Dubai, Dubai was the oil producing country or region. The United Arab Emirates is kind of like the United States at several emirates or states uh, where Dubai controls the local government and Abu Dhabi controls the foreign government uh, because they're the two largest, richest of the emirates. Uh, Each one of the emirates controls a sphere of the government, uh, and they have a parliament, but it's an absolute monarchy uh, internally. And when I was a kid growing up, Dubai produced all the oil, and Abu Dhabi was largely a socialist regime and was not heavily invested in oil production. Well, Dubai blew through all of its oil. Uh, Dubai has no more oil, which is why Dubai is now a real estate venture, uh, and Abu Dhabi pretty much abandoned after the fall of the Soviet Union, abandoned socialism and embraced capitalism and started producing oil and has massive oil reserves that it never tapped while Dubai was blowing through all of its oil reserves. But uh, the Sheikh of Abu Dhabi has told Emmanuel Macron that they've maxed out. They can't produce more oil. Saudi Arabia could produce more oil up to 150, 170,000 barrels extra a day but it would take them six months to get there, and that's not enough for the oil, for the world oil market. And this is why oil is going back up. So Macron has been in favor of either Iran and or Venezuela producing more oil. But also, Macron has been very vocal that the United States isn't doing its part. And therein lies the rub here, and this is why this is the biggest story of the day. You essentially have the president of France subtly signaling to the president of the United States, buddy, everybody's maxed out except you. The United States has vast untapped oil reserves. Joe Biden, on behalf of progressive activists, demanded Wall Street banks cut off the funding to Anwar. When they did, Biden said, well, they they lost their funding, so we need to shut the project down. The infrastructure's there. They just haven't flipped the switch. We could flip the switch. Joe Biden could go back to the Wall Street firms and demand they pony up. Joe Biden could go to the oil companies and say, guys, we're going to give you 25 years, not 10. Because it takes 20 years to get their investment back in oil production. Give them 20 plus 5, you make a good profit. Everybody comes out ahead. You start reducing oil prices tomorrow. Remember, it's a futures market. It's price based on future access to oil. We should not want, it is not in our national security interest, to have Venezuela and Iran producing more oil. They are terror regimes, Iran in particular. But Venezuela as well is increasingly with the Cubans funding uh, an anti-American spy and terror network in the Western Hemisphere. We should not want them to be producing more oil. It is in our national security interest for the United States to produce more oil. And therein lies the rub for the Democrats. Do you focus all of your energy on the Dobbs case and abortion? Do you split it with January 6th? Do you split it with the oil issue? If you split it with the oil issue, well, that's firing up people more. I mean, here's the bottom line. The election is what, July, August, September, October, four months 
and a week away. What, is pe- what are people going to be talking about a month from now? Are they going to be talking about access to abortion? Or are they going to be talking about gas prices? If Joe Biden wants, and this is the conundrum where the Democrats are, and this is, is one God's got a sense of humor. If the Democrats want Americans to focus on abortion and use that to help them at the polls, they have to produce more oil domestically. But, but, but if the Democrats produce more oil domestically, it angers the progressive base. And the progressive base is already angry that the Democrats have not gotten rid of the filibuster and codified Roe v. Wade into American law. The Democrats can't win now. They can't win. This is the conundrum, the, the, the corner they've painted themselves into. If they try to codify the law now, they got to scrap the filibuster. That fires up more Republicans. And it fires up pro-lifers who are so happy right now. Uh, they're kind of sitting back, resting on their laurels. They may not go vote. If they produce more oil, it fires up the Democratic base. And, and, and it fires them up in such a way they don't go vote for the Democrats this November. They become furious. What I personally think is going to happen, or what are the, what are the stages of grief? Stages of grief. I, I, I'm, I'm Googling the stage. Yes. Denial which we saw the immediate aftermath of of Dobbs. This can't be. Anger, we saw that. Oh, my gosh, we're still seeing that. Bargaining, depression, and acceptance. The Democrats are working through the stages of grief on Dobbs. They're going to hit depression right around the midterms. When it dawns on them, they had a chance to codify it. They had a chance. I mean, my gosh, they were able to pass Obamacare with 60 votes in the Senate. They got past a filibuster. They were able to get it passed. They controlled the House. They controlled the Senate. They controlled the White House. They had a filibuster-proof majority in the Senate, and they did not codify abortion into federal law with Obamacare. They're going to be furious. There's a, a video. I, I can't play it for you because it, it's college students talking to MSNBC and, and it's got profanity in it that I can't play on radio. And uh, the, the, the college students are furious. They've gotten fundraising emails from Democrats. They're like, why should we give you people money? You failed to do what we wanted you to do. We, you failed to protect us. You failed to stop this. You failed to do anything. And now – They've got that anger channeled at the Democrats, and if the Democrats start producing more oil, the rage from the environmentalists left is going to be unbearable. The environmentalist left is convinced we're all going to die within 10 years, maybe now seven because people are going to have more kids, you know, forced birth and all of that. We'll, we'll get to that language change. But... I mean, this is this is the problem. The Democrats really they they really fundamentally have this political problem, and they're they're boxed in. Here comes Emmanuel Macron and, and tells Joe Biden, "Pick your poison: uh, terror regimes producing more oil, or the United States producing more oil." If Joe Biden allows terror regimes to produce more oil, that looks bad here. If he allows the United States to produce more oil, that hurts him with his base. 
you know, I, I've got this story in the stack of stuff. We'll get to it later. Where the Democrats are suddenly realizing they literally control it all and the Republicans are making big wins. The GOP is only making big wins because the Democrats have boxed themselves in ideologically in ways they can't get out of. The Democrats have given themselves no leeway on this. Here's Caddy Kay on MSNBC. And we're probably only talking about the margins and we're probably only talking about a few districts and only a few states. I spent the last month traveling around the country and the only thing people are talking about when I ask them what they're going to vote on in the midterms is $5 a a gallon for gas. Uh, And that was even the case over the course of this weekend. I was in Pennsylvania during the weekend and when the ruling came out and I spent the time talking to an an abortion provider, um, a doctor who actually said, look, There's a potential that this galvanizes the other side, too, in a state like Pennsylvania. Yes, it might galvanize some Democrats. It may persuade some independents to get out and vote Democratic. But make no mistake that it's going to be a galvanizing factor on the right as well, because they see a state like Pennsylvania and they look at the gubernatorial race there and the chance that Pennsylvania, if a Republican wins the governor's mansion in November, could also ban abortion. And you'll get... uh, you'll get pro-life conservatives turning out to vote in bigger numbers too. So it could galvanize people on both sides. Uh, Democrats are certainly hoping that come November, this boosts their numbers in critical districts and critical stakes. At the moment, my reading from traveling around the country is that the economy is trumping everything. The economy is trumping everything. It is. And If Joe Biden does anything to fix the economy, he would have to boost domestic energy production. And if he boosted domestic energy production, that would depress his own base. There are a lot of options out there. If you're a self-starter and you want to invest on your own, it can be really confusing. And I'm delighted to tell you about SoFi because that's who I use. And now I've got him as an advertiser. If you're a SoFi user, uh, my gosh, you get all sorts of options, great research. You get the ability to invest in stocks, EFTs, crypto, plan out your retirement. Uh, More importantly, you got people you can call on. I mean, for example, um, I can use SoFi to buy stocks and EFTs and do the deep dive research if I need to and get complimentary financial planners ready to help answer questions. Uh, You can too, whether you're stuck on where to start or need help deciding what to to do next. You can even save for retirement with traditional Roth and SEP IRAs. They have so many options. If you're into crypto, you can also explore crypto. They've got 30 available coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Solana, Dogecoin, and so much more. But more importantly, they've got the number one ranked automated investment tool, their robo-advisor. It takes the stress out of building and managing a diversified portfolio without having to pay a bunch of experts to do it. I really like SoFi. Y'all, I've tried, you name it, and I probably tried it, and I settled on SoFi and think you will like it as well. Cut through the jargon, make investing easier with SoFi. Visit SoFi.com slash Eric to learn how you can win up to $1,000 in stock when you open an account. That's SOFI.com slash Eric. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member Fin. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Reminder, important reminder, you should be getting my daily email. If you do, 
Last night, you would have gotten the video of my monologue where I talked about being wrong about Trump in 2016 and, and what I did to reassess and what I discovered about the political realignment of the country and so doing, uh, while so much of the media did not. And you would also be getting the stack of stuff today where you would see the video of Emmanuel Macron uh, it, it jumping in front of Joe Biden and the cameras to talk about the Middle East. You'd get all of that and so much more if you text the word DATA to 33777. Uh, subscribe to the Daily Show Notes. Now, um, we got to move on. I, I got I to gotta play for you this audio. Um, in particular, this is uh, Charlemagne. What is it? Charlemagne the God? Uh, talking about the Democratic failures? Okay, what we witnessed on Friday is the cowardice of the Democratic Party catching up to them, all right? They know what Republicans have been planning for decades. Republicans have never hidden their agenda. They have shown and told us what play they are going to run, and for some reason, Democrats never craft a defense to stop it, all right? I mean, we didn't just get here yesterday, people. Yes, it's easy to point the finger at Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, and say, yeah, they put three judges on the Supreme Court. That's true. But I feel like the cowardice and inaction from Democrats caused a lot of this. I have a million questions that people smarter than me can answer. OK, why didn't President Obama uh, codify Roe v. Wade like he said he would when he was on the campaign trail? Uh-huh. I mean, that that's uh, Charlemagne the probably the most influential black voice in radio in America. And he's asking the question a lot of Democrats are asking today, a lot of young Democrats are asking today, why didn't you Democrats, when given the opportunity, do anything? You had a 60-seat Senate. You had a 60-seat Senate for a few months in 2010, and you didn't do anything. You didn't do this. Why? Um, that's a problem. And younger Democrats are realizing the party has betrayed them and they're lurching to the left. The problem with their lurch to the left is that it alienates a lot of people who, because of it, move to the right, including Hispanic and black voters. It's a problem. And and, and the voices that they rely on uh, are, well, like the voices of Kamala Harris. Listen to this clip from Kamala Harris. Now in inflation is is really high. Are you concerned about a recession? The administration said um, that they weren't, weren't that worried about the in, about inflation and then that changed. I think that there can be no higher priority than what we have been clear is our highest priority, which is bringing down the costs and the prices as much as we possibly can. And we will stay focused on that. Um. Inflation is really high. Are you concerned about a recession? I think that there can be no higher priority than what we have been clear is our highest priority. Um, Kamala Harris got some deep thoughts there, y'all. Uh, she also was quoted the other day as saying that um, – She's the daughter of a woman and the granddaughter of a woman. Oh, I've got more of this audio because when we come back, we got to talk about poor Joe. The New York Times is reporting uh, Joe Biden is getting his feelings hurt because not enough Democrats actually truly believe that he's actually truly going to run 
for president again. And now, Deep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. It is uh, remarkable to think back to that Charlemagne the God clip I played in the last half hour. Let let me go back to it one more time to to put in proper context everything that's going on right now. Uh, Listen to this. Okay, what we witnessed on Friday is the cowardice of the Democratic Party catching up to them, all right? They know what Republicans have been planning for decades. Republicans have never hidden their agenda. They have shown and told us what play they are going to run, and for some reason, Democrats never craft a defense to stop it. All right? I mean, we didn't just get here yesterday, people. Yes. It's easy to point the finger at Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, and say, yeah, they put three judges on the Supreme Court. That's true. But I feel like the cowardice and inaction from Democrats caused a lot of this. I have a million questions that people smarter than me can answer. Okay, why didn't President Obama uh, codify Roe v. Wade like he said he would when he was on the campaign trail? Um, yeah, they had a 60-seat majority in the Senate control of the House and the White House in 2010 and did nothing to codify Roe v. Wade. They could have, but they didn't. You got to ask yourself why that is. If you're upset about the Supreme Court's decision, I mean, for 50 years, the GOP has been saying, we're going to move the court. We're going to move the court. They had a 5-4 majority on the court at that point. With Scalia still alive, and the Democrats did nothing to protect the abortion right. Why? That's why the Democratic despair is growing. To the phones we go. 877-973-7425. Susan, you are going to be up first. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. On that live read that you just did, you mentioned the phrase, you snooze, you lose. Yeah. And, and it's really kind of appropriate for the Democrats because, as you're saying, just as Republicans have had 50 years to do something about Roe versus Wade, time is parallel. The Democrats also had 50 years. And they just sat there thinking, smugly thinking, oh, we're going to be running this show forever anyway, so we don't need to do that. And, I mean, if they really want to blame somebody, they really should. They should blame Obama. They should blame Harry Reid on the filibuster, and they should blame Ruth Bader Ginsburg for hanging around too long because Obama could have had that Supreme Court slot. Oh, man, you know, that's a good point uh, because Democrats actually, progressive activists on Twitter are excoriating Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Even now, it's been going on since Friday, saying essentially it was her pride that caused this. Uh, yeah, there's there is a lot of... Um, my goodness, there, there's, uh, there's a whole lot of that going on. Now, we must turn back to Kamala. 
Kamala, Kamala, and we must go to Joe Biden. I want to play you two clips from Kamala Harris in an interview with Dana Bash on CNN. Here's clip one. Can the administration expand abortion access or abortion services on federal land, meaning provide the access on federal land that might be in and around states that ban abortion? I think that what is most important right now is that we ensure that the restrictions that the states are trying to put up um, that would prohibit a woman from exercising what we still maintain is her right, that we do everything we can to empower women to not only seek but to receive the care where it is available. Is federal land uh, one of those options? I mean, it's not right now what we are discussing, but I will say that when I think about what is happening in terms of the states, we have to also recognize, Dana, that we are 130-odd days away from an election, which is going to include Senate races, right? Part of the issue here is that the court has acted, now Congress needs to act. But we, if you count the votes, don't appear to have the votes in the Senate. Well, there's an election happening. In 130 odd days, I'm taking, for example, thinking of, of a Senate race in Georgia or North Carolina. There's a the Senate race coming up just in a couple weeks in Colorado. And we need to change the balance and have pro-choice legislators who have the power to make decisions about whether this constitutional right will be in law, right? We say codified, mm-hmm. put it in law so that there will be no ambiguity about it. Uh, they had that opportunity, and they failed, and now you got a Senate without a filibuster-proof majority. They'd have to scrap the filibuster. And Kamala Harris also said she wasn't going to take a position on that, nor was Joe Biden, which is inferior to the left. And then there's this clip. Uh, your friend, the Congressman Jim Clyburn, said last week that if President Biden doesn't seek re-election, you would be first on his list in 2024. Have you talked to President Biden about re-election? And what do you say to Congressman Clyburn? Joe Biden is running for re-election, and I will be his ticket mate. Ah, well, we need to spend a little time on this one, friends. Here's the headline in the New York Times. Biden irked by Democrats who won't take yes for an answer on 2024. It's by Jonathan Martin. Earlier this month, when Senator Bernie Sanders said he would not challenge President Biden in 2024, Mr. Biden was so relieved, he invited his former rival to dinner at the White House the next night. Mr. Biden has been eager for signs of loyalty, and they have been few and far between. Facing intensifying skepticism about his capacity to run for re-election when he will be nearly 82, the president and his top aides have been stung by the questions about his plans, irritated at what they see as a lack of respect from their party and the press, and determined to tamp down suggestions that he's effectively a lame duck a year and a half into his administration. Mr. Biden isn't just intending to run, his aides argue. But he's also laying the groundwork by building resources at the Democratic National Committee, restocking his operation in battleground states and looking to use his influence to shape the nomination process in his favor. This account of Mr. Biden's preparation for re-election and his building frustration with his party's doubt is based on interviews with numerous people who talk regularly to the president, most 
spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss private conversation, but several said the president and his inner circle were confounded by Democrats' discussions about a plan B when the one person who has defeated Donald Trump has made clear his intentions to run again. Mr. Biden has told his advisors he sees a replay of the early days of his 2020 primary bid when some Democrats dismissed him as too old or too moderate to win the nomination. He blames the same downers for the current round of questioning. Those skeptics grew louder over the weekend after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade when Mr. Biden restated his opposition to expanding the ranks of the high court, the left's preferred solution. The remarks angered critics who argue that the president, who's never been comfortable elevating abortion rights and positions himself as a consensus builder, doesn't have the temperament for partisan combat. This story right here encapsulates all the problems the Democrats have moving forward. Now, notice again, notice again, I pointed this out even before the Dobbs case, how the focus has shifted to 2024. They've given up on 2022. Privately, the Democrats don't really believe the Dobbs case is going to change much for them. Privately, they don't see it as an impact. You you should know that Joe Biden's popularity has fallen even further. Joe Biden's disapproval rating is now 56.9% in the Real Clear Politics polling average. His approval is now at at 38.8%. That's the lowest it's ever been. To put this another way, Joe Biden's approval has never been as high as his current disapproval in the polling averages. It's bad. It's bad. Joe Biden's approval rating in the Reuters-Ipsos poll is 36%. In the NPR poll, it's 40%. In Quinnipiac, it's 35%. Democrats are embracing the NPR poll because it suddenly shows that the Republicans are behind on the generic ballot. The poll was conducted over uh, June 24th, June 25th after the Dobbs case. The problem is it's a weekend poll, and weekend polling is notoriously bad for Republicans. And it has Democrats up seven on the generic ballot. The GOP actually is still in the generic ballot polling average, up 2.8%, one of their best showings ever historically. It's not good for the Democrats. The Economist says the GOP up four. Fox has them up three. Quinnipiac has them up five. NPR Marist conducted over a weekend a snap poll over two days of registered voters has the Democrats surging to seven. Not a good look for NPR, not for the GOP. The Democrats are embracing it. They 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 want this. They're wish casting that NPR is is a good poll. Maybe it is. More polls will come out. We'll see. The problem is you can tell that they aren't trusting these polls because the Democrats are already focused on 2024. 
And what do they have in 2024? Kamala Harris, maybe. Maybe Kamala Harris. If they have Joe Biden, he's going to get challenged by the left for not doing enough. If he steps aside, Kamala Harris is going to get challenged by Pete Buttigieg. Edge. Pete Buttigieg is not going to give her a pass. He doesn't like her. She doesn't like him. And then what if they do a ticket? Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg, first gay vice presidential candidate, first black female presidential candidate against, I don't know, Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott? A governor and a senator versus two bureaucrats from Washington, D.C. who talk like progressives. Lots of talk of Latinx and BIPOC on the Democratic side. Lots of pocketbook talk on the Republican side in 2024. That's not going to be good. The lineup for 2024 is already starting to hurt the Democrats, and they got to get through 2022. Now, the upside for the Democrats is 2022 changes the dynamic of 2024. You put the Republicans in the White in, in the Senate in the House in 2022, suddenly Joe Biden has a bad guy to run against. Mitch McConnell is the most unpopular politician nationally. He's more unpopular than Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer or Joe Biden or Kamala Harris. Mitch McConnell is, and he'll be the face of the Senate if the Republicans are back in charge of the Senate. Kevin McCarthy is a dweeb. He'll be the Speaker of the House. He'll be an incompetent boob. Uh, who sticks his finger in the wind to see which direction to go. Joe Biden will have two villains for 2024 that he doesn't have now. Events change things. But Joe Biden will get the blame for the coming recession. And the recession is coming. And Joe Biden will get the blame when the Supreme Court keeps rolling back his agenda and he can't do what he wants to do. He'll look ineffective. And Democrats will be ready to move on from him, while Republicans are ready to embrace something new. See, the, the, the latent undercurrent here as I read things is I know the polling shows if Trump wants the nomination in 2024, he's going to get it. I don't think he's going to run again. And I think he'll be challenged by a guy like DeSantis, even if he does. And I think the public, the Republican voters will be ready to move on. Republican voters increasingly are ready to move on. Republican voters are rallying to DeSantis. Again, it's like Bush in 2000. The Republican base was settled upon Bush, not a a Bob Dole-Jack Kemp rematch or a Jack Kemp in favor of Bob Dole. I think the GOP is moving on and the Democrats are stuck in place. And that's the problem. And that is the latent undercurrent of all of these stories of Joe Biden wanting to run for reelection. And that's going to hurt him tremendously and hurt the Democrats. And the Democrats are going to break out into a serious civil war that they have for the last decade been able to stop because they had Obama and then they had Biden and they had Hillary and now they got nobody. They can't decide while the GOP is gravitating towards one person. One of the key players along the way to make that happen is Patriot Mobile. Patriot Mobile is a Christian conservative cell phone company. Literally, they are set up to be Christian and conservative. It's in their bylaws. It's how they're organized. They they This isn't a PR thing. Years ago, the left decided, why don't we start a, a cell phone company on the left and we can you let them fund the profits into the left-wing movement. And the right thought, well, we got to compete here. So they came up with Patriot Mobile. So it's organized by conservatives to be conservative. They're not going to go woke. And you can do business with them, and they use the same cell towers everybody else uses. So you get uh, 5G, you get data, you get voice, you get conservatism, and they take a portion of their profits and fund the conservative movement. What you do is you go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You get free activation with my name. 
If you want to call them, they have 100% U.S.-based customer service. You go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, or you call them 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT. You tell them Eric sent you. You get free activation. They also have great discounts if you're a veteran, a first responder, an NRA member, a teacher. You got a big family. You need multiple lines for a family with multiple cell phones. We're getting there with mine. You can get those discounts at Patriot Mobile. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric or 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. All right. um, Welcome back. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you want to be a part of the program. Uh, You know, I tell you guys all the time. The right understands the arguments of the left better than the left understands the arguments of the right. And there's a there's a great example of this. Uh, David Frum in The Atlantic headline, Roe is the new prohibition subtitle. The pro-life movement needs to know that such culture wars resemble not uh, result not an outright victory for one side, but in reaction and compromise. Uh, And he uses the fight over prohibition as the example and and that the right should pay attention to this, that essentially states settled on individual state compromises on uh, alcohol once the uh, amendment was repealed. Y'all, hello. I've been involved in conservative politics since the mid-90s. Prohibition has been the example the pro-life movement has used at least since then and before then, that in uh, the early 1900s, progressives amended the Constitution through the democratic processes to ban the sale of alcohol. And then the other side worked and was able to repeal the prohibitionary amendment, that the constitutional system worked the way it was supposed to work. And Roe upended that where you no longer had to go amend the Constitution to get your desires into it. You just had to get five judges to agree, and they shut down all conversation and all hope of ever having a Democratic counter-result. I mean, prohibition has literally been the example the pro-life movement has used forever. I mean, since I've been involved in politics, I shouldn't say forever, but I know it was it predated my involvement in politics. And here comes David Frum. He's like, oh, conservatives, have you ever thought about prohibition? And how that's probably the, yes, you idiot. We have literally used prohibition as the example for the entire 50 years since Roe. My gosh. I mean, he's treated this as, I have this new idea. No one's ever considered. Literally, we've been using this idea for 50 years. Everything is new to the left. They have no sense of history, and they've never bothered to even try to understand our side's arguments. Yes, there are pro-lifers who want Congress involved. There are pro-lifers who believe the 14th Amendment protects life, but the bottom line is that the overwhelming majority of the pro-life movement has forever used prohibition as the counterexample to Roe v. Wade, using the democratic processes to amend the Constitution and then change it back, as opposed to judicial fiat. My gosh, these people, they really have never bothered to learn our arguments.